Psalm 94. O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the, shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words, all the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see, the God of Jacob does not perceive. Understand, O dullest of the people, fools, when, you, fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nation, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord, knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law, to give him rest from the days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people, he will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Can wicked rulers be allied with you? those who frame injustice by statute. They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. This is the Lord's word. Amen. This is God's word. Uh, shall we just pray before we move into the talk? God, we want to thank you because um, even as we see the brokenness of the world um, and, and we see uh, all the pain and the wickedness, we know that uh, you are the righteous judge. And, and, and we, even as we sung, you are all you said you would be and you are the righteous judge. And, and you will one day bring the, the whole world to order and you'll wipe away every wickedness. Uh, but in this, in this already and not yet world, you have placed us here and, and Lord, you, um, you guard us and you protect us and you use us as channels of your renewal in this broken world. So we worship you. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us from this psalm? Uh, meet us at our point of need and help us to enjoy and see the beauty of who Jesus is and what he's done clearly and, and make it real to our hearts. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, we, we'll be looking at two things first and then I'll move into the third point. The, the first two things that we're going to be looking at is the cause of wickedness and the second thing is our protection from wickedness. And then um, later I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what we're talking about in the third point. Um, the first thing, the cause of wickedness. Look at how the psalmist is starting the psalm. O Lord, God of vengeance, God of vengeance, shine forth. 
What a crazy way to start this, right? When was the last time we, we started our worship session or our prayer saying, oh, a lot of vengeance just shine forth? I mean, rarely do we call upon God like this. We might say, oh, God of love, God of comfort. Here the psalmist is going all guns blaring from the beginning. Oh, God of vengeance, shine forth. Let's look at why he's starting this way. Verses 2 to 6, the psalmist describing the despicable actions of the wicked. He's saying, um, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out arrogant words and, and all the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and, and murder the fatherless. And that is why the psalmist is saying, he's starting off, there's no room for... Uh, uh, cordial salutations in, in the beginning. He's just starting saying, Oh Lord, God of vengeance, shine forth, rise up, judge of the earth. The psalmist is actually giving us the basis on which the wicked were doing these actions. Look at verse 7. He says, And they say, The Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. The cause of wickedness, according to the psalmist, is telling us they are in a state of godless arrogance. What do I mean by godless arrogance? I mean, I don't believe in God, but if, if there is a God, it doesn't impact me. He doesn't see. He doesn't... I mean, he's there. If you believe, good for you. He does not see. He does not intervene. He is, he's just there. So anything goes. I can do anything... Because God doesn't really see or perceive. He's, he's not as involved. Does it feel like that sometimes for us, our own hearts? And do we hear things like this from our friends? We live in a world of godless arrogance. People are increasingly doing what they please and are indifferent to God. But if we have to be honest... On most days, what we experienced just before I started the sermon are the breaking of our hearts by the injustice. It doesn't happen as often, right? On most days, we don't feel the wickedness as much as the psalmist is feeling. He's, he's utterly broken by it. If we reflect on our own life, our personal life, our, our work, our neighborhood, our city, we are not waking up every day crying out, God, look at this wickedness. Do something. Please, judge of the earth, rise up. Unless we are personally suffering from, from some kind of injustice or wickedness, we are, we are being unfairly treated at work, or, or a colleague of ours uh, just got uh, taken, took our seat of promotion instead of us based on uh, you know, a favor uh, and not on merit, and, uh, you know, if you're probably not being treated well in society because of our, who we are, where we come from, instances like this personal injustice, we, as we rightly should, but only then we feel the weight of the wickedness in the world. In some ways, we are finding ourselves feeling more and more at home in the world of godless arrogance 
and indifference to God. It is not breaking our hearts as much as it should. We, we, so we love our jobs. We, we love what we're doing. We love um, all that's happening to us in Bombay. I mean, uh, the city, the, there's never a dull moment in the city. In some ways, we are finding ourselves more and more at home in a world of godless arrogance. In fact, we also attach some sort of aspirational value to those who are succeeding and are successful in this world of godless arrogance. We actually want what they have, irrespective of how they got there. We, we want to be them, don't we? Don't we all have areas in our life where we feel the Lord really doesn't see this part? I mean, he's, he's, it's okay. God doesn't really care about what I do here. This is, this is my part. This is my life. And the other way this plays out, tell me if you relate to this. There are some areas where we feel even if God doesn't get involved here or he doesn't intervene, I got this. I'm on top of this. That's a sure shot sign of godless arrogance that we experience as followers of Jesus. And all of us do have a little, my precious, where we look at it and say, this little part of my life, it's mine. I don't need anything. I'm not going to let anyone in. God is out of question. Friends, we live in a world of godless arrogance and as followers of Jesus, we feel more and more at home because our hearts feel and are, and, and are experiencing in subtle ways this godless arrogance ourselves. So what is, if this is the root cause of all wickedness, so what is our protection from this wickedness? How does God protect us? You know, in a very interesting turn of events, the psalm starts off with the, the psalmist saying, God, these wicked people are doing all of this. Rise up, God of vengeance, judge, rise up and do your thing. Suddenly, in verse 12, he breaks into, Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach, out of your law, to give him rest from the days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. Suddenly from all the complaining, the psalmist is saying, blessed is the man whom you discipline. What is happening here? The psalmist is seeing his own vulnerability to fail. Look at verse 17. If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would have soon lived in the land of silence. I would, have, I would have easily stepped over to the other side. When I thought my foot slips, it's so easy for our foot to slip in this world, in our city especially. He says, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. And he says, I'm blessed because I'm disciplined by God. 
He's not saying God's blessing is in removing this wicked from me right now because one day God will, will do that. But until that day comes, my current blessing is in God disciplining me in this situation. And that's why I've titled my talk, God's Blessing, uh, the, 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 the Blessing of God's Discipline. Here's what Psalmist is saying. Because of our indwelling sin and wickedness, we are so vulnerable to walk down the path of the wicked and live as if the God does not see or the God of Jacob does not perceive. But here's the thing. Why is God's discipline a blessing to us? Why? Why is he saying, blessed is the man whom you discipline a God? Let's look at two reasons why. The first Look at, look at how he's phrasing these verses. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, whom you teach out of your law, to give him rest from the days of trouble. The psalmist is experiencing rest from the days of trouble in the discipline of God and teaching from God's word. Discipline from God gives us rest from the days of trouble until the wickedness itself is removed. We don't have a choice whether we face trouble or no. We, we all will face trouble in this world. But whether we choose the rest of God in the midst of it by, by allowing him to discipline us, God does that for our hearts. And here's the thing. All of us go through troubles. As followers of Jesus, all of us, I mean, we don't have a choice, but rarely does it feel like discipline is a blessing. Or rarely do we experience the rest that the psalmist is talking about in the discipline of God. Why is that? I'd like to give some reasons that are plausible for this. First, we tend to believe that suffering itself is a lesson. Don't we all believe that? So enduring the suffering itself will help us grow and, and, and will teach us a lesson. Look at what the psalmist is saying here. He's blessed. He's a blessed man who, who God disciplines, but the lesson from that suffering is coming from God's word. When the psalmist is going through this difficulty, the difficulty itself is not teaching him a lesson. The lesson is coming from God's word. Friends, what happens if we don't go to God's word when we suffer? A, we will either crumble under the weight of the suffering, or the second thing, we will subscribe to the cultural idea, what doesn't kill you makes you Stronger. So when we come out of the suffering, we come out with a thick skin, believing we are, we are invincible, we are better than everyone else. And, 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 and sometimes when we come out of the suffering as followers of Jesus, we look at God, somehow there is this inherent belief, you owe me. Why did you allow this? I'm being faithful. Friends, if you don't go to God's word, if my suffering is not taking me to God's word, the lesson that I learn will, will, will actually be harmful to my soul. 
You know, I experienced this. My default mode when I'm suffering is, is to, to, uh, to lift all my guards up, shut down completely, uh, forget people speaking into my life, I shut God out also. And then uh, I won't show what I'm feeling inside. I, I, I would probably go to the privacy of my own bathroom and weep a couple of tears. Uh, and and, and uh, I shut even God out of it. And you know what the dangerous part of it is? When it's over, or the, the physical, you know, the situation is over, my heart comes out cold, indifferent, and arrogant. The one thing that my wife really helps me during this time is, is she asks this question, which is very difficult at that time. She says, what is God doing in your heart during this time? I, I mean, it, it is a painful question to answer, but the pain that this question brings is the pain of surgery. As a doctor would do surgery, and, and surgeries, I mean, if there was no anesthesia, it would be really painful, but it's for our healing. That question is the, is the surgery that our soul needs. Asking just, what is God doing in my own heart? How is God disciplining me in this situation? Friends, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. While it might seem like a biblical thing to say, it's not. What is happening is when, when, when suffering comes, God is in fact putting our sinful self to death. So if your sinful soul hasn't died, <laughs> it's dangerous for your heart and mind. And then, you know what else happens? Our sinful, soul, our sinful self dies and it's replaced by Christ. We grow a little more Christ-like when we go through suffering and learn and go to God's word and allow him to speak to us. That's the first reason why suffering is blessing. We experience, our soul experience rest. While physically we might be suffering, our soul experience rest knowing that the salvation of God is at operation in my heart right now. He's this, this, a, little, a little more of my sinful self is going to die and it's going to be replaced by Christ. Let's look at the second reason, quickly look at the second reason why God's discipline is a blessing. Look at the verse again. He's saying, blessed is the man whom you discipline, whom you teach out of the Lord to give him rest from the days of trouble. And then verse 14, he says, for the Lord, for the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. Friends, God's discipline of his children is proof, current tangible proof that he will not abandon or forsake us. How do we know that God is not abandoning me or forsaking me in this trouble right now because he is involved in disciplining me and, and, and putting a bit of my sinful self to death and, and replacing it with Christ. Now look at how counterintuitive it is. What was the taunt of the wicked? The Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. Perceive. In a world that constantly believes that, there is, that God is indifferent, he doesn't see, he doesn't perceive, the psalmist is saying, he's actually saying in this verse, oh you foolish, don't you know that the God who made eyes, does he not see? Does he God, the God who created ears, does he not hear? What, God, what the psalmist is saying is, God is not aloof. He sees everything, he hears everything, 
he cares and he's disciplining me right now the discipline of god is current proof that god will not abandon or forsake his own and this is why god's discipline is a blessing to us i know that discipline is a hard thing we we definitely at this point in time not looking at discipline or we, i don't know if you we have ever looked at discipline in that moment and looked at it as a blessing come discipline me did we ever ask anyone or ever experienced discipline like that you know our, our godless arrogance and indifference to him makes it even more hard to see and and receive discipline so how do we receive god's discipline how do we do that that's the third thing that we look at how do we receive it as a blessing not grudgingly how do we receive it as a blessing why do we struggle to receive discipline probably because our earthly experience of it has probably been not so good you know discipline is probably either uh, abused if you've grown up as a millennial a couple of sticks have probably been broken and uh, you know which the current generation doesn't relate to probably or the it goes all the other way around where discipline is abandoned because we because i went through so much as a kid now my kid has come i'm not, i'm not going to you know it's either abused or it's abandoned and and we don't have a good experience with it we might cerebrally agree that it's a good thing if we at all we do but our hearts still wrestle with it you know what our heart desperately needs it needs healing for all the wounds of imperfect disciplining that we've experienced and the healing lies in the hands of the god who is disciplining us look at how the psalmist is is revealing this god to us look look at what's happening he's starting off the psalm by saying oh god god of vengeance righteous judge and that's how he's introducing god to us and then he's ending the psalm by saying you are my stronghold you have become my refuge when the consolations of my heart were a lot you cheer me and in between these two descriptions he's putting the powerful truth at the middle of the psalm blessed is the man whom you discipline what is happening here why is this order important why why is why is seeing the god of vengeance the righteous judge and seeing the god who is who's our refuge who's our comforter how is seeing both of these important for us to be disciplined uh, and and see discipline as a blessing you know we'll be scared if god only if if we if we receive discipline from god from the god who is only a god of vengeance and we will despise discipline not even care for it if we saw god as a god of only comfort and refuge why 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 should he discipline us he's just comforting us we need a god who is both at the same time while not compromising on either and friends that is what we have in jesus jesus this the, the 
this psalm is actually more true of Jesus than the psalmist himself. When Jesus became a man and walked on this earth, he, 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 he came absolutely righteous and just. And he lived in a world of sinful, wicked people. And, and in fact, all the taunts of the wicked people that the psalmist was experiencing, Jesus experienced it even more. All through his life, we know what he experienced. The Pharisees are constantly taunting him. They were, they were um, you know, he experienced, uh, uh, he, he was stoned while remaining absolutely righteous even until the cross where this verse of the psalmist where he says in 21 the ba- they band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death this is jesus he was the only righteous one and they band together against him and condemned him to death now here's the thing friends when Jesus died on the cross and all these wicked men put him to death, all the verses that the psalmist is mentioning, all the things that he's saying about the wicked people became true in his life. But all the things that he spoke about God, not forsaking, not abandoning, coming, comforting, cheering his soul, were not true because he took your wickedness and mine upon himself and died on that cross. Now here's the beautiful thing that has happened. The very God of vengeance who is the righteous judge has become our refuge. And refuge from what? From the very vengeance that you and I deserve. No holy God can look at you and me and say, I love you, apart from the punishment of Christ. And friends, this is what we get in Christ. And this is the Christ who longs to sanctify us with his, with his love, with his tough love of discipline. And friends, you know what is not happening here? You and I would have experienced this, right? In, in our earthly discipline, sometimes parents often try to play the good cop, bad cop. Yeah? We, we've probably seen that in the movies. One is the good cop, one is the bad cop. So it might look like the God of vengeance is like the bad cop. And Jesus who comes in the New Testament is the good cop. And then... He just came to scare us so we can accept Jesus. No, that's not what is happening here. Both of it are equally true. And discipline is coming from the hands of both the God of vengeance and the God of love. There is, there is no pretending here. God's love to us is real because God's punishment was also real. So when he disciplines us, it is a blessing because the curse of it was borne by Christ himself. Friends, here's the thing. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, which 
side of God do you more lean to? Are we doing things, because there are two equal and opposite errors right here as well. If I'm looking at God as only a, a, a righteous judge and a God of vengeance, I'm constantly be, I'll, I'll constantly be scared and do things out of fear. And that discipline won't last long. And for those of us probably in this generation lean more towards the God of refuge and comfort, we will not take discipline seriously. We, why do we even care? He loves me as I am. No, he doesn't. He loves me because the punishment was real on the cross. And so that love became real for me. So here's my call this morning. Depends, depending on which God you, you love or you, you relate to more, our discipline is going to depend on that. Only at the cross of Christ, both of these met in equal measure and we get a full portrait of both and, and our discipline flows from the cross of Jesus where his blood was shed for us so you and I can be loved into transformation. This is the healing that our hearts desperately need. Would you pray with me even as we close? Lord, it's, it's so difficult, Lord, in this culture to even talk about discipline and, 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 and to, uh, to even say that it's a blessing. I mean, we are so at home in this world of godless arrogance that that our hearts are wrestling, we'll, we'll be honest, our hearts are wrestling and, and we, we are not actively enjoying your word to let you shape our hearts. And then, Holy Spirit, unless you come, unless you come, as the psalmist rightly says, if it were not the Lord, we would, we would be living in the land of silence. If you didn't hold us up, we would slip and fall to never rise again. So hold us up. Help us to experience the joy and the blessing of discipline, Lord. Help us to enjoy it. Help us to not despise discipline as fools do. As the Bible says, the fool despises discipline. Put to death the sinfulness of ours. And help us to run to Christ. We worship you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.